0: The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 58 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. Last week, Dana Hudson and I talked about the challenges of healthcare during the time of COVID-19. My guest this week really lived that reality. We met when she took me up on the offer to connect on a coffee chat. She'd been in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, for a little while, and I was really excited to get to know her better. Within the first five minutes of our chat, I knew she was my people. As she shared her story, I was laughing out loud at how similar we were in the ways that we approach certain aspects of our journey. My husband went home to mow the lawn during my first big surgery. Just wait until you hear how Laura Morrow's family was spending their time during her surgery. Welcome, Laura. I'm so happy to have you here today. I am really looking forward to hearing your
1: story. So let's just go ahead and dive in. I'm going to turn it over to you. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me here. My story really started last winter. So this is the winter of the 2019 going into 2020. And it was, it was a crazy time. And this was before COVID, before people even knew what COVID was, it was already wild for me. I had been struggling with autoimmune issues for about three years at this point. And even though I had done so much to get the symptoms um, better on my own through diet and lifestyle through the autoimmune protocol, I still had a lot of lingering symptoms and really wanted to get to that underlying cause. So I had been going to doctor's appointments with a functional medicine doctor um, here in Northern Virginia um, for a few months getting testing done and really digging into that. And at the same time, um, I had Two little kids. They were eight and four. So that's always busy. Um, I run my own business uh, full time with uh, to do with the autoimmune disease. It's called Simply AIP. We send monthly subscription boxes. Two women full of um, products to help them with, uh, with their symptoms. And we were looking to buy a new house. So we were house hunting um, and we were going to need to sell our house. So all of this stuff going on at once. And the beginning of February came and my functional medicine doctor finally got out the test results and said that I had Lyme disease. And, um, that I I was kind of, I kind of knew, but I was kind of surprised too. I was never exactly sure. and never had a name before. Um, and so she put me on this regimen of, um, antibiotics and supplements, and it was going to take several months to, um, to help with those symptoms. And, um, at the same time I had, I had a mammogram done in January. And when I got the mammogram done, um, I got called back and it, which had happened the first, this was only my second mammogram. I was 41 years old. So I'd gotten my first one when I was forty, second one at 41, Called me back. I was like, oh, last year it was a cyst. They said, I'll probably have that every year. Every year I'll have to come back twice. So annoying. I've got so much going on. I don't have time for this. Um, but I made my second appointment. And when I went in there, I was like, oh yeah, I need an ultrasound for the cyst I have. And they're like, no, 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 you need another mammogram, not an ultrasound. And I was like, oh, well, that was different than last year. Oh, okay. So go in to get the other mammogram. And um when I was getting changed again, the doctor came in and actually closed the curtain and was like, Well, there's uh there is something going on. You have calcification and you know, sometimes that's not really a big deal. A lot of people have that, but with what I'm seeing, I could say, let's wait six months and see what happens, but I'm not going to do that. I am going to have you go ahead and have a biopsy. I'm like, oh, this is just not what I was expecting at all. I had no lump. I had no symptoms. I was just going in from a yearly mammogram and um so she was like yeah and we want this scheduled pretty quickly um so i was like okay <laughs> so i i go into the biopsy which was completely different than what i thought it was going to be i should have known when they were booking the appointment when they were like um do you usually take some like anti anxiety medicine before you go to a doctor's before you go to a dentist appointment and i was like no, why? <laughs> and they were like, well, just some people get a little anxiety with this. So maybe, you know, if if you're fine at the dentist, then you'll be fine. And I was like, oh, okay. Let me tell you, if they ever offer you anti-anxiety medicine, take it. <laughs> That's my big recommendation here. Don't turn that down. That was big mistake, number one, because I just thought it was just going to be the regular biopsy, you know, just like a little needle, quick appointment, whatever. That is not what this was. This was a deep core biopsy. And because my calcification was at the very back, like it was so far back, the mammogram almost didn't catch it. um, That it had to go very deep and um, which is painful. And um, they have to do the for the deep core, they have to do the have the needle in at the same time they're doing a mammogram. Which is just as bad as it sounds. Um, I felt like Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction with a needle sticking out of me. What um, <laughs> they were doing this mammogram? If you've ever seen that movie, um, but yeah, it, it was it was terrible. But still, the whole time, I really didn't think that there was anything going. You know, like I just kind of thought I would get over this, and you know, whatever. So I had gotten my Lyme diagnosis on a Tuesday. I got my biopsy on a Thursday and then the next Tuesday I was actually walking out the door. I was going to a like business networking luncheon on, had my keys in my hand, was opening up the door and um, I got the call from my doctor who was like, yeah, so we got your results from the biopsy and you have DCIS. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Right, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I honestly had not even heard of it, and she's like, well, it's stage zero breast cancer. Um, so the cancer is still in the milk ducts. Um, it hasn't escaped or it, like that's the hope. Um, <laughs> and um, but it is probably going to mean a um, a lumpectomy, But she was like, but usually with DI- DCIS, You just have a lumpectomy. um, It's taken out and no big deal. That's it. It's it's usually not that huge of a deal. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, And so I got off the phone and I just called my husband. I I never made it to the luncheon. (laughs) Um, He came home from work and uh, started calling to make appointments. Um, I was lucky, I was able to get into an MRI the next day, I think. And got an appointment with the um, surgeon, the breast surgeon, two days later, uh, which was amazing. Yes. Yeah. It was supposed to be a few weeks out. And I made the appointment for a few weeks out. And they called us back and they said, We have an opening. Can you come in Thursday? And I'm like, Yes. (laughs) And I was like, I don't even know if you'll get the MRI results by then, though. And my, my MRI is just tomorrow. And she was like, we will make sure that we get the results, and I was like, "Okay, then, great." So go to get the MRI breast uh, surgeon on Thursday, and she was like, "Well, here's the thing: um, your where yours is, it's right above your heart and your lungs, and we could do a lumpectomy. It would mean um, four weeks of radiation every day." And the problem is where it is being right above your heart and lungs. Um, that can do a lot of damage to your heart long term. She was like, if you were in your sixties or seventies, I wouldn't really worry about it. But what we worry about is 20 years out. Right. And with you only be being 41 years old, then that is, that's going to just cause too much damage. And, um, so she was like, I really, you can go that route. Um, She was like, the other thing is with you only being 41, I really, I, I would expect to see you back in here in the next two to three years. So, you know, she was like, so you can do the lecto- the lumpectomy with the radiation. You can do a, um, a single mastectomy, just on one, just on the left side, or you can do a double. She was like, if you do a double We should be able to get everything. You're not going to have to worry about it. You'll never get another mammogram again. You will just be done because it's in stage zero. Um, And and she said, the other thing is with my DCIS, she's like, some people, honestly, they can just get no treatment and they're fine for the rest of their lives. But she said, yours is um, too aggressive. She's like, it's not the most aggressive kind, but it's up there and um she said with yours being as aggressive as it is and your age she was like you can't do nothing like that's not an option for you and so honestly even sitting right there in the room my natural inclination was like i want to do the double mastectomy like i i don't want to take any chances I, I i just want this done and I can kind of be aggressive like that sometimes with decisions. I'm very I'm very funny. I'm like what to order on the lunch menu might take me 20 minutes to decide, but big, life-changing things. sometimes I'm just like I just cut to the chase and I'm just like, I know what I want. Um, but the funny thing is, I let myself sort of second guess that because I did get not a lot of comments, but there were a few people that commented something like, well, like Dcs is, you know, you do you really need to go that aggressive with DCIS? And, you know, do you really need to do all that much? Um, You know, and it just really made me think like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to do that. That, that is a lot. That is kind of scary. So I let myself second guess it for a few weeks, even while the whole time I knew in my heart what I wanted to do. And what was the right decision for me? And I'm, I'm glad I went with the decision. But it was, um, it was, it was crazy. We were house hunting, we were supposed to look at houses that week. And I told my realtor, um, we can't do this. I I mean, I'm going, you know, I just got this diagnosis. I, I, we have to quit the house hunting. And of course, that week, the most amazing house came on the market. Of course it did. Right? (laughs) Like just the perfect thing in the school district that we wanted better than any house that we had seen. And it was just like, well, okay, let's just go look at that. We've got to look at that. It's so much better. We looked at it and found ourselves making an offer the next day. (laughs) This is my um, favorite part of your story, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So literally what, what, um, a week after, yeah, a week after our diagnosis, we put an offer on a new house. We hadn't sold our house yet. Um, but the market was so great last February houses were just, you know, selling like hotcakes. It was like, Oh, it'll be your, your, house is great. You'll have no problem selling, whatever. And then that's when everybody started paying attention to COVID. And um, so we started buying this house. We started doing all the things to sell our house. And then it's the beginning of March. And we start thinking like, oh gosh, now what are we going to do? Like, uh, are people gonna want to come and buy our house? But at that point, it's too late. We're closing on the on the house we've already bought. <laughs> and um we're not uh independently wealthy, so <laughs> we didn't have the ability to just like you know own two houses. Um so we're like we have to do that. So we ended up having an open house on March 15th, which is the weekend that all the cl- the schools closed in the area. I mean, it, we were freaking out. So our, our open house was March 15th. We closed on our new house March 16th. and um, And then all this time, I'm trying to schedule my surgery, which was supposed to be April 15th. And I'm starting to freak out that, oh my God, the hospitals are going to be overrun with COVID and they're going to cancel my surgery. And my surgeon said, like, it's not an emergency. Like you need to get your surgery tomorrow, but I wouldn't wait until the summer because of how aggressive it was. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? You know? And so I'm calling every single day to try to get my surgery changed and they're like, we, there's no openings. There's no availability. There's no, we can't change it. And finally, I mean, I'm emailing, I'm calling, I'm doing everything to reach out to every person I possibly can to get this changed. And finally, they call me and say, okay, we have um, moved up your surgery to April 1st. And I'm like, okay, great. That sounds better. We can do that. And we moved up our move to be March 27th so that we could move the weekend before my surgery, be moved in, and then do my surgery. And then that could all happen before, I don't know, we were like, maybe the moving company has to close down because of COVID. Right. And then I get another call mid-March saying... Um, we're really worried that the hospital is going to be closed to surgeries by April 1st. So your surgery is now March 27th, which is one week from today. And that's my move day. I'm like, oh my God. So I don't want to change the surgery because I don't want to like that. not happen. But I don't want to change the move because what if the mover's aren't able to move. And it was really looking serious at that point that right. like that might not happen. And i was like, we've sold our house now. We can't not move our stuff out of it. And so I told my husband, I was like, listen, they're not even, you're not even allowed to come into the building. So why don't we just move? Like there's nothing keeping us from it. So literally like he dropped me off at the hospital at six o'clock in the morning, went back home met the movers, moved. I stayed at the hospital overnight. And the next day when he picked me up, I came home to a new house, which was the most surreal thing because I was still like kind of drugged up. Right. And anesthesia effects and all that. And like walking into this new house that has my bedroom furniture. And he and my mom were so sweet. They like fixed up the room like so it looked nice, even though there were boxes all over the house. Like coming. And it's like, okay, here's where you're gonna recover in your new room. <laughs> That's great. I can't describe that that feeling. It was just a um a very weird time in the world and a very weird time for me personally. And it it all got done. And um you know, and, I, and I'm on the other side of it. I mean, I had the the uh, reconstruction three months later, and that was a lot smoother. Things were the hospitals had their protocols by then, and it, it wasn't. Nearly, I mean, he still wasn't able to come in the building with me, but right. it wasn't nearly as scary. Um, but yeah, I just that that time of my life that was literally the most stressful week I've ever had in my entire life.
0: I mean, moving just on its own can be super stressful. Mm -hmm. And then we had COVID on top of that. Like, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and it was so crazy because um, we're lucky to have a lot of friends in the area. We're not from here, but we've lived here for about 20 years. And, um, you know, all of our friends were like, Uh, we'll keep the kids, we'll help you pack, we'll bring food, all of these things. But then when COVID happened, no one was able to, to do that. And so um, that was kind of a big blow for me, sort of emotionally. I mean, we got everything done physically and my mom did come up from Florida, but it was really hard. I'm an extrovert and it was really hard to sort of uh, handle on my, on my own without the support of our, our network that we've created here.
0: Yeah, I can absolutely relate to the extrovert piece. Mm-hmm. So there are so many components of this that I want to yeah. dive into. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I will be here with Laura talking more about her journey. Stay with us. I hope you're enjoying unspoken cancer truths i help people to get moving again and sometimes you just need to switch up the approach or find a new challenge especially when thinking about starting back after treatment or an illness one of my goals is to help you flip the idea of exercise as something that's hard awful or daunting and make it something fun maybe even a little social safely of course the important thing is that you want to get started and you're happy to show up for yourself and then you want to stay in the game because it feels good to move and you had fun doing it. Ready to reimagine exercise? You can email me at jennifer at or schedule a copy chat with me through the Facebook group. Surviving is just the beginning. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Laura, and we are talking about her journey with DCIS breast cancer. And there are so many components to your story. Of course, we're just audio here, so you can't see. Like, there were a lot of times where I was just shaking my head, like, "Hmm, I understand." Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting, especially during this time of COVID, um, which is when you had your surgeries was the, how surgeries are prioritized. And we were talking during the break that your first surgery was considered a life-saving surgery where your second surgery was considered an elective surgery. Right. And that's been a real challenge because I have also encountered many people um, going through this during this time where their first surgery was kind of considered
1: an elective surgery. Mm -hmm. And it's,
0: there's not a consistency
1: to that. Right. Yeah. I was really thankful that my doctors really advocated for me to, to get this surgery to happen because honestly it wasn't clear at this time, you know, what was going on with COVID and the hospitals were starting to fill up and you know, and just the safety aspects of it. It was, they didn't even know the rules, really. Right. So my doctors really pushed it through. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I had them on my side. And I will tell you with the second surgery being considered elective, it was a really odd feeling like there, there was definitely like almost like some guilt, I guess, associated with it of like, okay, I'm going and getting this elective surgery during this major, you know, pandemic and other people aren't able to have certain surgeries and, you know, and, and do I really need to be doing something that is potentially risky or or whatever during this time? So it was, it just brought up a lot of weird (laughs) feelings, (laughs) um, uh, that, that I wouldn't have really expected. Um, So that was a, I mean, it's just amazing how COVID has like so many effects on our lives that we don't even, even realize. And, and the thing is, it's like, you know, it's not just a boob job, you know, Um, it's so much more than that. and, And what they have in there before isn't very comfortable. No, it's, it's, there's a huge difference. And you don't, look like you're going to look and it's there's a lot of psychological pieces to it too and just wanting to be through with that period and want to be done with it and the fact that like they can't even give me a date for the surgery because hospitals aren't even open for surgeries at the time was just a lot of sort of anxiety of like when is this going to happen and you know? um, And then when it happened, like when you do get it scheduled, like you better be available, which luckily we're just at home. So (laughs) So that was pretty easy, but like, you better be available because there's not going to be another chance. And hopefully we get it done before the hospitals close off surgeries again. So even like the day before it wasn't sure if it was actually going to happen. So just so much, so many unknowns going into it.
0: Reconstruction really is an an interesting topic. And, and I like how you, how you mentioned that, because I was also thinking, like, when I had my reconstruction, it was almost a year to the day of my first surgery, because I did have chemo and and some other adjudiment therapies. And I wasn't rebounding from those. Mm-hmm. And I ended up needing a a second blood transfusion Mm. in order to even qualify for surgery. Oh, wow. And I remember feeling like so much guilt around that. Mm -hmm. And my doctors and my surgeons were like, because I was like, I really want to be able to have this before like I'm in a fourth insurance cycle. Like this Mm -hmm. is getting crazy. And they were like, well, of course, we're going to do this thing. Like, you're not rebounding. We you need to have the surgery. Like, but right. for me, there it is interesting how we sort of second guess or like just have those feelings of where it's really a it's not an elective surgery. It's a required mm-hmm. surgery that just falls mm-hmm. under this elective category. Right. So it's, it is like a very interesting place to be. I think no matter where you are in that, in that process, Um, there was an interesting thing I, I loved when we first had talked about this, I loved your move story and your husband going, (laughs) dropping you off at your first surgery and going home to move. Mm -hmm. And my husband, when I had my surgery, you could be, you could sit at the hospital. And my surgery Mm -hmm. was like five and a half hours. Uh huh. And he went home to mow the lawn. And I was (laughs) like, what do you mean you're going home to mow the lawn? And my mom was like, what do you mean you're going home to mow the lawn? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, it wasn't until my, my having my port placed, which Mm -hmm. was like a super short, I was like, it doesn't matter where anyone is, because I'm asleep. (laughs) Right? Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) You're asleep. And um, I will say, like, I did have a bit of anxiety about that, too, of like, oh, my gosh, my husband's not gonna be able to be here. Like, am I gonna be okay? But I will tell you, like, the, the hospital was really great about it. Like, just being, I think, a little even more on top of making sure I knew everything and supporting me. Um, And they had, I didn't know they were going to have this, but they had this woman who came around and um, said, you know, I'm just a, a volunteer for the hospital. And because you're not allowed to have anybody with you, I'm just here to talk with you if you want to talk. And I'm here to sit with you as long as you want me to be here. And I thought that was so sweet. And she was so kind. Um, and I said, like, honestly, I'm okay. Um, because it was like seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was like, I'm okay. Just kind of laying back and closing my eyes and resting until it's time to go back. Um, Cause I'm not a morning person. But, um, and she said, I often get that in the morning, but patients who were here later in the day when they're awake and they've been anticipating this all day. They're the ones who usually want to talk. And
0: you haven't and, eaten.
1: Yes, right. And now exactly. things are
0: delayed because right. things got behind. Yes,
1: exactly. And she's like, that's that's when I had some really great conversations. But I I just was really touched by, like, she was just so empathetic and that the hospital did that. Um, I was really touched by that. But I'll have to be honest with you. The only other time I've ever stayed overnight at a hospital before was when I had my two kids and um man that is hard because you're recovering and you're taking care of another human being right and like you're up all night like breastfeeding and um it's hectic and then people are coming in and wanting to hold the baby and all these things it's like so much rushed i'll tell you it's the most peaceful thing being there by yourself and the hospital, like hardly anybody was in the hospital because there were no visitors. Like the cafeteria was shut down. The gift shop was shut down. Like it was so quiet in that house. Usually they're bustling and noise and whatever. Right. It was like, uh, like almost like a spa vacation. <laughs> like I just sat in that bed and read my kindle and then just closed my eyes and slept when I want and didn't have to do a thing for anybody else and they were like you know we can really we we might can rush you to get out of here because it's COVID you might not you might be scared to stay overnight I'm like I'm fine I'm not scared I i I still had a lot of nausea, so I was like, I right. really didn't want me to leave until I got, they got that under control, which wasn't until well into the night. But they're like, we can rush you out if you want. I was like, don't rush anything. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was so anybody who might be scared of that, I will say that there are some advantages of it just being a very quiet place where you don't have to be on for anybody. and you can just relax and, and sleep and recover.
0: And there's a lot with after breast cancer or after breast surgery, mm-hmm. mastectomies in particular, like there's a lot of things to navigate. Yes. Like, there's a lot of things <laughs> attached to you and like figuring out how to
1: mm-hmm.
0: like move around with those and yes. how to deal with those is like a whole nother, you have a whole topic on that. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mhm, One of the other things that really struck me from your story was the the really great guidance you got from your doctor, because there's I've talked about this before, like there's whole segments of research happening in breast kids or research right now about communication mm-hmm. and what what patients need or want. Um, how we make decisions and um, what kind of guidance we're looking for from our our team. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me how um, they laid everything out and told you, you know, what they would do, how they would move forward. And I think that can make a huge difference in our long-term trust of, of our decision-making.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I've always been the person um, when I was young, my mom would want to like sort of protect me from things and kind of just tell me little bits of things without wanting to overshare. And I, I, I mean, I, I totally get that, especially now that I'm a parent now. I understand so much more where she's coming from that. We want to protect our kids. But at the same time, I am the kind of person that's like, just tell me all the facts and then I can process it and deal with it and make the decisions that I need to make for myself. But it scares me. I'm a worrier. So I promise you, I will take it further than it probably is. No matter what it is, <laughs> I could imagine far worse. So I would rather just know what's going on and then I can think it out and deal with it. Um, and so I really appreciated that my doctors gave me that opportunity and was just like, you know, here's the deal. I, I, I will say though, my, um, my gynecologist, I do wish that she, when she first called me and gave me the news, and she was just kind of like, yeah, you'll probably just have to get, you know, just a little bit removed. It won't be that big of a deal. You probably won't even need radiation. You know, like she made it sound like so simple, like it was just going to be this simple little thing. They just scooped it out and I'd be done. And um, it, it that was, I mean, I went from thinking that to six weeks later having a bilateral mastectomy. And that's a big jump. I, I honestly wish she hadn't made it so. Sem- and I know she was trying to like not freak me out on the phone, but at the same time, like I, I wish she hadn't put it so gently.
0: And, and it's interesting because, and you said this earlier, mm-hmm. right? Because of your age, and right, my age was similar. So right, I cannot tell you how many times I heard the words because of your age. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is where sometimes they forget that the protocols might be a little more accelerated Mm -hmm. for someone who is young, because right now, we're considered to be young, and not, not normal. And I, I do think, I mean, I have talked to so, so many being a breast cancer survivor Mm in my 40s. I, of course, attract a lot of breast cancer survivors in their 40s. Exactly. Yep. But I have talked to, there's so many of us, and even people that I've talked to who are in their 60s who are diagnosed in their 40s are like, isn't it interesting how we've all been diagnosed in our 40s? And I think we're going to find that that is becoming more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we have longer term survivorship, it's my hope that we can kind of mitigate some of the treatment that we're giving to people be- just because we're in our forties um, sure. or just because of our age and our, our perceived youngness. <laughs> our, right. I mean, our, the reality of our youngness. Oh, I'm
1: super young. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's just there we often hear because of our age and I also think like your doctor shared with you that oh you probably just have to have a little bit out and you probably won't need radiation except mm-hmm. that if you have a lumpectomy they almost always want to do radiation.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: depending on, like, if yours was deep, and depending on what the margins look like, like all those things, with a lumpectomy, depending on what kind of lumpectomy they're doing, radiation's required mm-hmm. under the protocols.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, for some DCIS, now they're making adjustments based on what the margins look like and the size and the number of cells and all of the things. But I think having all that information too, like when we have a mastectomy, we know that radiation is not necessarily going to be required. Right. um, Unless there's some other component, like we have surgery and an excess of lymph nodes turns up, then radiation may, may be on the table. But I hear... A lot from people that have lumpectomies that they didn't know at the time they made the choice that it was going to mean that radiation was a requirement.
1: Oh, really? See, yeah, that's um, one thing that my doctor really mentioned. She was like, okay, you've got three choices lumpectomy, that'll be radiation for four weeks. She said the whole thing about the heart and the lungs and yeah. everything. But she also said, you know, because of your um, autoimmune issues, like you're going to be severely fatigued from the radiation. And then on top of the fatigue that you're already dealing with, like that is going to be really hard on you.
0: Um,
1: And so she did mention that to me and as a factor for my decision. Um, And I will tell you, I'm, I'm glad I did the bilateral anyway, but, um, Oh my gosh, if I would have, during the beginning of COVID, had to go in every day for four weeks to do radiation with like going into like a doctor's office and like doing all the stuff and all the protocol, like uh, that, that would have been even way more stressful.
0: Right. During
1: that time than even just normal. So I'm super glad <laughs> that. I, I didn't have all of that extra. Now, not that recovering from surgery was easy either. But, but it's a different context. It is. It is. So, yeah.
0: And the the mental health side of it as well. Like, that definitely was a, was a factor for me in, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing that, okay, my risk is
1: reduced. Right. Makes oh, a huge
0: difference.
1: That was my, that was really my biggest thing is that um, because she did say like the MRI was like, well, there's a couple other spots that are potentials. And, you know, there's kind of this other issue we see over here. And it turns out once they did the pathology that those things weren't um, issues. But at the time, they didn't know. And so it was just like, Oh, it looks like there's all these potential issues. And like, so why am I just going to deal with one little area when there really could be these other things. And then I would just have to go back and get it anyway and be wondering. Think, yes. That's the thing. I, I couldn't, I I knew I would rather just be done with it than, than to constantly be, be wondering and be afraid. So yeah. that's, that was, that was big for me.
0: Yeah. I absolutely understand that. During the break we were talking about the challenges of communication and, It's such a weird thing that happens when you are diagnosed with cancer. And it's something that like people across the board will say, I can't, that no, that can't be true. Like, because people are weird and people Uh respond weirdly and that is universal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, it's funny because like my mom was like, no, no, people couldn't possibly have. It. And then she had a DCIS and she was like, oh, my gosh, like, why are people weird? Right. I was like, yeah, because they just are. And that's OK. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't about you. It's about, you know, everything they feel about the diagnosis and everything they feel about the word cancer. And and it's OK. Like, it just it's just how it is. Mm hmm. But I loved how you kind of, I circumvented those things in in my own way, but I really liked how you handled that by putting your kind of wishes, like really thinking through what you were available for and what you weren't available for and sharing mm-hmm. those in a, in a like semi-public way. So I would love for you to share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, actually, it was pretty public. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I got this idea from my friend, Shelly. I had seen her do this um, the year before, and I just thought that was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And um, so what I did just pretty soon after I got the diagnosis, um, maybe a week or something like that. um, I actually did a Facebook Live about it. And I wrote down like sort of a script of what I was going to say. So I I, um, hit all the main points. But I went live on Facebook. And I said, um, what did I was like, hey, I got diagnosed with Lyme last week and that wasn't the biggest diagnosis that, uh, that I got. So here's what's going on with me. And um, so I said, you know, what my diagnosis was, what the surgeon had said about my options um, and what I was, I hadn't made my final, well, I had, but, you know, I hadn't announced my final decision yet, but what I was sort of leaning towards um, with doing with my surgery. And then I said, um, what I did need from people, which was emotional support, which was I was like, take me out, do things with me, visit me. Now, I didn't know, like a week later, we we're going to be shut down with COVID, right. So that went out the window. But, um, you know, like, check on me. I'm not the kind of per- I'm an extrovert. So you know, don't think like, oh, I don't want to bother Lara. I was a no, you check on me, you call me, you take me out. Like, that's what I need. I said, but what I don't need is, first of all, we don't need financial support. Luckily, my job has a, a, my husband has a job with the federal government who gives, luckily, very great health insurance. So um, a lot of our bills are going to be covered that way. And I also don't need medical advice. Because I'm working with a great team of surgeons in the DC area. I mean, it's some of the best surgeons in the country, if not the world. And I feel really good about the plan they have for me. And I really think that um, it, the whole video, it, it was really scary to do. And it was really hard to do. And then I posted it on my business page and sent out a business email about it too. So like the whole world, everybody who knew me knew. Um so it it was hard, but I think it was very good. First of all, everybody had the information, so I didn't have to share it a million times with people. So I think it made it a lot, lot easier. And there were even a few people who were like, wait, I heard something that was going on with you. What happened? And I was just like, watch my video and then we'll talk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I did that. Um, but also, I think it really helped saying what I did and didn't need because people like started offering like, let's go and do something. Let's do, You know, like they really took it to heart. Um, but also, honestly, I didn't get a lot of medical advice or opinions. And I've seen some people where it is just like people are like, oh, have you tried this alternative thing? And have you done this and blah, 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 you know, without really knowing the facts. And yes. I think it just allowed people to just be supportive of me. Without having to feel like they had to fix it for me,
0: and it also provides that buffer, right? Like it provides a buffer for them to process their Mm -hmm. own like reaction, yeah, while not in your presence.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It it helped. It, It it was really good. I would have never thought to do it on my own, you know. So it. I was like, when I saw my friend Shelly do it, I was like, she is the bravest person and the smartest person ever for thinking to do that. Not knowing a a year later, I would be doing my own. Um, But, you know, it helps that watching strong women go before you and and following their lead. um, I'm glad that I have some really strong friends.
0: Absolutely. And as we've said, like, at our age, right? Like there are more and more of us in this mm-hmm. age range that are facing these challenges. So, yep. there's. I definitely am am one of those people that I think sharing is important because then we can see like our sameness and other people's stories. And like having seen your your friends' Facebook Live, you could be like, "Oh, I can do that too." Mm-hmm. And tell people and that that piece of telling people what you're available for and what you're not available for, I think, is so, so, so brave and important. Mm-hmm. Because it it also allows us to say very definitively to the person who's now telling you to drink the celery juice that that's great but I have my plan mm-hmm. and that's not mm-hmm. a component of my plan that I'm open to discuss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a powerful place for people to be. So I, I love that you shared that. Thank you. So in the land of silver linings, as we kind of wrap up, cause Oh my gosh, as always the time goes so fast. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we had been talking about um, off air during our break about one of your silver linings being the t- your timeline. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to share about that.
1: Yeah. So um, it, it, like I said, this all started right before um, right before COVID, and my uh, mammogram was in January. And to be honest with you, if my mammogram hadn't been until March, I probably would have put it off. I mean, the same thing happened with my dentist appointment. I had a dentist appointment yeah. in March. I didn't have it until like September, October of this year because of COVID. And um, especially since I had heard some of the studies saying that doctors had started recommending only every two years, if you don't have a family history and you're, is still young, I, I probably would have been like, I'm fine. You know, I'm only 41. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, I'm good that I've even gotten one. Great, good for me. I started when I was 40, like I was supposed to. Right. Um, and so I am just so thankful that I went and I did it, and I and that it happened at the time that that it did. And the the other thing about the timing about it was that I didn't have any pressure to go anywhere or do anything yeah. for a long time because I know I'm the kind of person who pushes myself like I always want to like take care of my family and do the things and not have to rely on other people I'm very independent and I know I mean I know how it was with after my pregnancies how quickly I jumped back into doing things right and um You know, and the doctors say that, you know, oh, three week recovery time and you should be pretty much back to normal activities. And I will tell you, that is BS. Um, (laughs) Three week recovery time, I barely had my drains out at that point. And like my body was still healing um I mean, and the healing process is exhausting. It's exhausting. And I know I would have taken that 3 weeks to heart and been like, "Oh no, it's only been 3 weeks. Okay, I better be back to driving my kids to and from school and activities and even though I feel horrible, like it, they said 3 weeks, so I better get to it. I can't imagine how much I would have pushed myself. But because we weren't going anywhere or doing anything, it was perfectly okay that I was still, you know, laying on my couch or propped up in bed with a bunch of pillows. And yeah. I just didn't feel that pressure to go out and do all the things all the time like my normal life is. And so, yeah, while I did miss out on some of the supportive pieces that would have been really nice, I still Still, just had the kind of luxury to heal at my own pace and my own terms, well, more than I ever would have allowed myself to do before. Um, So, I think that was really big for me. And, And honestly, as crazy as the first few months of COVID was for us, with two surgeries, selling a house, buying a house, moving all the I didn't even get the lime stuff. done. I've still put that on. Like, I, like, <laughs> I got to take care of this other thing that's killing me right now. Um, <laughs> like, as crazy as that was, honestly, once we got it, once I got recovered from the second surgery, it's like, wow, like, we can kind of make it through anything. <laughs> if we made it through that, like, all right, we got this. Like, And I think it gave us like, like my whole family, like so much more of appreciation of being at home together. Yeah. And, you know, sort of the time off from certain things. And um, it just gave us a lot more perspective of like, yeah, this COVID thing sucks, but there's things that could be even worse. And I'm glad we got through that period. And so I think it it was a major perspective for us and um I honestly think it we we we've handled the last few months a lot better because of it.
0: I definitely have seen a lot of correlation between like people that had been through cancer diagnoses and mm-hmm. and kind of the world going through COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, where you kind of did both at the same time, (laughs) right? Right. So I've seen a lot of people like really tap into that idea of, of perspective, right. Mm -hmm. And, and connection to the humans in our life in different ways. And I, I think that that is, is a great, lesson and and a great silver lining. So thank you so much for sharing your story. You're um, welcome. We're happy to have you here today. You're welcome. It's been good.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Laura, for sharing your story today. I'm on a mission to interview new guests every week to bring more connection and share more stories of cancer survivors caregivers, and support organizations. In Laura's case, she booked a coffee chat for us to get to know one another better. Whether you think you may want to share your story on the podcast or if you just want to share with me directly, connect with me in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, where you can also connect with Laura and other past guests. Or look for the coffee chat link in the show notes. Knowing there are others with similar experiences helps us know that we're not alone. And there is a community of people with similar and diverse experiences waiting to meet you because surviving really is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.